Gen X Playback, episode number 12. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket Welcome back. And welcome back, everybody, to Gen X Playback. The show about the best times of our lives, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we are the Brothers High. And welcome back to another week of, well, just we try and keep the the topics nice and light. We like to uh, jump around from one area to the to the next. We did TV theme songs uh, last last episode. You know, we talked sports, we've talked TV, we've talked movies. So this time, uh, Sean, it was Sean's turn and... We're going back to, um, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be music. I think we're probably going to be focused a lot on music today, but you, you wanted to, to kind of change things up a little bit today. Yeah, I, I did. And, you know, as I mentioned in our last episode, this is kind of a, a topic that our sister Lori had suggested to me, well, a variation of it, where she said, uh, it'd be nice if you guys did the the rockers you know the female rockers i think is how she phrased it and i, and I thought thought about that that's good you know we haven't done anything that was very specific towards uh the ladies and you know interestingly you and i were going over our demographics uh tonight and we have more female listeners that listen to this uh to our or to our podcast on our on our spotify, on spotify, on spotify at least. podcast we are overwhelmingly uh uh, we have overwhelming uh, numbers in in the uh, female direction, so. which is great. Which I I th- think is fabulous. And so as a result, I, I, you know, when she Lori threw that out, I thought, yeah, that is something. You know, maybe we we want to have something that's a little more specific to that. So my variation of it, in, and I'd be interested to hear your spin on this as as far as what happens is, it's ladies that rocked. and it doesn't have to necessarily be the quote unquote rockers. It you know it could be different areas i don't know I, th- I think based on a comment that you made a little while ago i'm afraid i think i'm not say afraid but i think you might go in a totally different direction than what i was anticipating i don't i don't think so although you know when i when i uh came up with my list i think there are going to be some surprises okay um just when i went I back so. and, and looked at the list of names and and what i did was i wrote down i went through and wrote down as many names as i possibly could right. think of yeah and so this this list probably has about thirty different. I did the same different rock uh, rocks. Well, some of them are, are would be considered rocks, some, right. some not. So I, I what I tried to do was uh, you know looked at each one and thought, all right, now which one of these would be like like if I had to pull up a song and listen to it now on Spotify or on iTunes, which ones would I typically gravitate towards? So that's kind of where where my list evolved okay, from. Okay, good, so. good. And and as you got to hear at our last episode, we're now able to incorporate some music. And I thought that was a lot of fun that we were able to do that and start playing some of the songs because we can talk about them. And it, but it's always nice when you get to hear the songs again. So fortunately, because of, of being through Anchor and then using Spotify, as long as it's in Spotify's catalog, we can play it. So that's exactly. what what we're going to bring to you tonight. Okay. So you said you wanted me to, to yeah. Why don't kick you why don't you get started with your list and we'll go down your list and I, I may or may not say whether it's on my list or not. I, I have a feeling we're going to have some overlap, but we'll just go and we'll just kind of comment. All right. So I wanted to start things off first with an honorable mention. I have two honorable mentions, and even though both of these honorable mention to the I would say the average listener 
probably isn't familiar with too many of these, uh, you know, these two people because they, well, Carol King okay. to me was somebody that makes my list for honorable mention. The other one is Diane Warren. Okay. So I, I'm sure you probably have heard the name Diane Warren. Well, before. I know Diane Warren more as a songwriter. Well, that's what that's why I put those two in there for their songwriting. Yeah. Because and, and same with Carol King. Carol King was she was a big deal, like in the early seventies. She had the one album Tapestry. Yeah. Uh, but Carol King, before she even wrote Tapestry, she worked for Phil Spector, and was part of that wall of sounds. She wrote most of the hit songs uh, for Phil Spector. So she has she's penned a lot of number one and a lot of top ten hits that she never performed herself. Right. So you're talking about a great songwriter in in the early part of her career. Diane Warren is probably the single greatest individual songwriter of at least the 20th century. I think for for popular music, even more so than you know, we hear Sean's talked about the name Desmond Child. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of uh, David Foster. There's been a lot of prolific songwriters, Bernie Taupin, uh, who have made quite a great living. But I think Diane Warren, if you look at the number, uh, when you're talking popular music, the number of top tens and the number one songs that she's written, I think far exceeds anybody else out there. So that's why I wanted to bring those two names up. Um, I think she was songwriter of the year two years in a row, I think 1988, 1989. She wrote many songs for Celine Dion. She wrote songs for Michael Bolton, for Meatloaf, I mean, Cheap Mm -hmm. Trick um the flame that's that's the one i was thinking of uh, yeah she wrote uh, when i see you smile which was a number one hit for bad english and she also uh, you know it's just you you go up and down the list of of many artists and and chances are she's probably written a song for them so i i do want to give mention to uh to to those two ladies okay all right so i had 11 on my list mm-hmm. and I'm, i wanted to start with uh with number 11 which i i had her uh, i kind of added her into it because for as great a career as she's had musically, um, she's not known as a rock singer, but she did do a couple of rock songs, which is why I wanted to mention the name Janet Jackson. I, I, I thought about Janet Jackson, actually. She's not on my list, uh, but she was one of the uh, people that was in consideration. And I thought about this song. That's, this, is, this is Black Cat, right? This is Black Cat, yeah. So Black Cat was released. The, the album was uh, Rhythm Nation 1814 which is kind of considered her masterpiece. Control was the album that made her a superstar. Mm-hmm. But I think Rhythm Nation uh, was the album that showed how broad her range is, kind of like Michael. You know, when, when Michael Michael did Dirty Diana, you know, he could show that he was known as, you know, somebody who could do all different types of music. And I think Rhythm Nation for Janet wasn't just that Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis kind of formula where it was it was a similar even though there were slow songs and fast songs, and I and I would put nasty in the in the rock category, mm-hmm. but for the for me this this song here, Black Cat, it's just a straight up great rock and roll song, and she did a great job with it. So I you know that's why I put her in here in the uh, in in my top list at number eleven. Yeah, I'm just kind of listening to to the song. I haven't heard it for a little while, but and and I, I one of the things that kind of stands out to me from this song was. Uh, I remember when it came out, and Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, of all people, being interviewed, and he mentioned this as being a song that he really liked. Yeah, I, I think I think it appeals to many different. Uh, the The album itself 
when it first came out, I thought, oh, you know, Janet Jackson and, and, and Rhythm Nation wasn't wasn't my favorite song on the album. It was the stuff that came out after, like mm-hmm. Escapade. That was uh, a good song, yeah. Love Will Never Do uh, might be my favorite song on the album. This is probably my second favorite song on the album, but kudos to, to Janet for showing that she has, you know, a rock and roll side to her, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, Donnie and Marie, you know, she had a little bit of rock and roll in her, so... That's this, right. This was, um, you know, this was my number eleven choice. No, that's a good choice. At, you know, like I said, it's one that I even I actually considered. Um, and you know, when when I say about you know ladies that rocked, it, it doesn't have to be rock songs. It could just be somebody that you think, boy, I, I really liked her. I like she rocked. You know, the, which you talked about with Carol King. Um, it, I think that definitely fits into kind of what I was thinking of. But yes, without a doubt, Janet Jackson. I think makes the list, even if you're not picking that song. I think a lot of, of what else she did, even if you picked Escapade, it's, it's just a good song. And you could say, I really enjoy that. Boy, she really rocked it. And um, so, yeah, that was my choice for number 11 was, was Janet Jackson. Number 10, mm-hmm. I think uh, this, this one particular song, if you just go by rock and roll songs, this may be arguably the, one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever made now we're going into well, the 90s this one up yeah um because if you if you talk about raw emotion and rage this is maybe the angriest song i've ever heard in my life and this is alanis morissette uh-huh. with you ought to know so i i'm gonna bring this down because we run a clean show and there's uh-huh. a little bit of cursing in it so we'll bring this down and then we'll bring it back up again but i credit alanis morissette for boy you want to talk about getting your point across and this is the funny thing is it's about Dave Coulier from Full That's House. That's alleged. Well, yeah. I mean, she's uh, never admitted to it. But uh, you know, it's you want to talk about somebody who's very angry at whoever she's whoever she's uh, singing at here. This this is this is raw rage. And and if you're looking at '90s kind of grunge rock, this is as good as it gets, I think, for '90s rock and roll. And this came out in '95. '95 is when Jagged Little Pill came out. So you're talking 1995. This, uh, which really kind of enhances the rock and roll part of this song, is, I don't know if you can recognize the guitar and the bass, but it's actually Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers and Dave Navarro, who actually had, I think at this particular time, Navarro was with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So you're talking maybe the preeminent uh, rock and roll band of the 1990s, or at least one of them. And, and I, I, I know he was Alanis's touring drummer, but but Taylor Hawkins was he was the drummer. I don't know if he played on the song or not. I I would assume I didn't read anything about it. But I, I know he was her, the guy that was on the road with her. Yeah, and Taylor Hawkins obviously went on to a long career with um, you know Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know there's there's a pedigree to the song, and I and not uh, Jagged Little Pill. Unfortunately for Alanis, I think it's a shame she couldn't recreate it. But in terms of one album, you know, we've talked about Guns N' Roses and Appetite right. for Destruction. This is this is a great album. That's actually a good point. I mean, I think you could probably compare it to an Appetite for Destruction. Now, while Guns N' Roses did come back and have you know pretty good success with Use Your Illusion One and Two, they didn't come close to doing what Appetite did and 
Appetite for Destruction is one of those landmark albums. And I think Jagged Little Pill is the same way. For for a female, and I and I put the whole album in a rock category. Sure, I think, absolutely. I think she really created a masterpiece. Um, and, and this this song is is in my opinion the best of the whole album. Just for just for the raw when you when you're trying to hit whatever you're whatever you're trying to point you're trying to get across as a songwriter and a performer. I think she got that point across. Yes, yeah, no, I, song. I I wholeheartedly agree with that selection. Okay, so that was number ten, Alanis Morissette. Um, I used "You Ought to Know" from her Jagged Little Pill album, and that was 1995. Number nine. Maybe as a surprise to a lot of people, uh, in in particular because she really didn't get her mainstream success until she hit the age of forty, and it was on this album that came out in in 1989, which was called Nick of Time. So we're actually talking about Bonnie Raitt, and Bonnie Raitt won a boatload of Grammy awards with this particular album, and. Um, I didn't really... Bonnie Raitt was somebody I had heard of, and mm-hmm. she actually built quite a career on being a, kind of a purist blues player. She learned how to play the slide guitar. I was going to say, that was kind of her big claim to fame, was she was a slide guitarist. And so it took her a very long time. She had a... she had a, You know, came out later and said she had a very difficult um, struggle with alcoholism. So she got herself cleaned up a little bit, came out with this album, and this is... This is one of my favorite albums of the late of uh, late 80s into early 90s. I kind of wore this this cassette tape out when I had it. You know, it's to me it was just a fun album, and it had a lot of good songs on it. This was my favorite song off the album. Uh, if anybody remembers the music video, I do. It does include a, uh, a younger Dennis Quaid. It, it, that's exactly what I was visualizing. And, you know, him trying to be his uh, charming best. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's a, you know, this is just a fun song, well done, and uh, you know, given her her um, background in blues music, this is a good blues song. It's it's interesting that that you put her on the list, um, and this kind of shows, I think, how you and I are similar but a little bit different. You know, we we've talked about kind of you get that Venn diagram going on where we kind of like everything that the other person likes, but then we have that point in the middle that kind of overlaps that that we we share. This is something that would be not necessarily on my side of that Venn diagram. It's something that I, I certainly like, but it, I actually had a conversation with somebody um, just you know, the other week when, you know, talking about what I was going to talk about, what we were going to talk about on the next episode. And, and I actually mentioned Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt and said, yeah, you know, probably not somebody that'll be on my list, but it's a name that came up. So I certainly immediately thought of her as somebody that was from that era that was worthy of talking about, but not somebody that, you know, I necessarily would have bought an album like, like you had, you know, I wasn't going to go see her uh, in concert, but I, I certainly liked Bonnie Raitt. So that was my number nine choice. Uh, as I said, um, thing called love off of her Nick of time album released in 1989. That was actually her 10th studio album. Okay. Took her a long time to, yeah. to hit mainstream. And then, the album that she came out with after that was Luck of the Draw. I had that one as well. Mm-hmm. And that one's just as good. Uh, although I think Nick of Time has got a little bit more blues to it. Luck of, Luck of the Draw has a little bit more of a pop flavor to it. But they're okay. still still good albums. All right. So number eight, I don't think is going to be a big surprise for too many people. Um, she's still out there right now. She's she's a, a big television personality. 
um, is, is Gwen Stefani. And I selected her because of her work that with no doubt, mm-hmm. not a big fan of her solo stuff, I but agree. I did like her with no doubt. So the one that I, that I selected was really the kind of the song that kicked them off. And this is just a girl that was on their, um, 1995 tragic kingdom album release, which is really, this is really the album that kind of threw them into the mainstream and make them, uh, very popular. Of course, this this was a song that got everybody's attention. I, what I remember about this particular song is that they played it live at uh, MTV Spring Break. Okay. All right. Um, but it was the "Don't Speak" was the song that really jumped sure. them up to the next level. But I always thought Gwen was kind of cool because this was a band that she co-founded with her, uh, you know, with her family, with, with her, her brother, brother, right? And that she always she did remain very loyal to to the band, and it's a, it's a straight up rock and roll band. And she was a very energetic. She's a, she's a good front person mm-hmm. for this band. And this this is one of my favorite songs that they did. Still has kind of that ska feel of the early, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, I, it, I I like it. And that and that's a good point that you made, Scott, when you said that you know, you know, we always hear about the front man, you know, the David Lee Roth type of person, you know, the, the Freddie Mercury, somebody that's really out there commanding the crowd. I, I, I would agree. Uh, Gwen Stefani is somebody that has a lot of stage presence. Yeah, and you can't, you can't, I guess, discredit that. No, is you know when you have somebody, and there you've seen guys out there with bands that are, I wouldn't say not the best, but your stage presence can really go a long way with the success of a group. It you can. Know, if you have a great front, you know, front person, front individual on that band, then. You can you can go pretty far, right? I, I can appreciate when someone has a great voice, and they they stand there. It's not my favorite. I really like the the entertainer, no matter the age. You know, I watched a, a video recently of Billy Joel. You okay. know, and and uh, it's like he still gets up and entertains. And, you know, he's still twirling the microphone stand, and and it's it's that sort of showmanship. And and that is you're right. That's what Gwen Stefani brought to the table as well. Okay, so Gwen was my number eight selection. My number seven selection is not going to be a surprise to Sean because we've spoken about this lady for for many, many years and that we've always been uh, a huge fan of of her. Um, I'm going to pick the the song that I chose was off of the debut album that she did with the band Scandal in 1981, and that is Patti Smythe. Oh, man, we have our first first crossover. And, uh, you know, Patti Smythe, who at the time... We actually didn't know who she was, but we saw her in a TV commercial. For Frank's Beverages. Frank's Soda out of Philadelphia. And is it Frank's? Thanks. And it was done by, actually done by Scandal. Mm -hmm. And it was sung by Patti Smith. Smythe. Smythe. And we were smitten. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I always thought she was such a cool singer. Like, just, just a great performer. It's, you know, she chose to kind of pick and choose when she wanted to do her projects which to a fan is sort of a shame because you wanted to see more material out there right which i think is what ultimately ended up happening because you know she sort of you know scandal was on the verge of going absolutely gangbusters huge in 1984 with with the warrior and then she kind of disappears and then uh you know she does some couple of soundtracks uh she had a kid um, she had a marriage, right? And then all of a sudden, she sort of disappears. And then 1992, she reappears with mm-hmm. a duet with Don Henley, which Correct. is phenomenal. Yeah. 
you know, sometimes love just ain't enough, which is a great song. It is. And then you're like, oh man, so so Patty's finally going to start doing some work again, and then she becomes Mrs. John McEnroe, the, the tennis great, right? And so she's she's you know only working, you know, she works when she wants to, but she had the opportunity. She was offered the lead singer position of Van Halen. She was offered that job by Eddie Van Halen. True story. And she was also offered a, uh, a full spot on the Hooters. And you and I had this discussion not too long ago, because Scott and I, we've said we're big Hooters fans. And the I really think that that marriage, if it had ever happened, with between the Hooters and, and Patti Smythe would have been incredible. Because on their, you know, their, their big album, Nervous Night, the when you know where did the children go is is patty smythe singing and it it's one of my absolute favorite songs of that era um the uh just just you know phenomenal vocal range that she had she had it you know kind of a a little bit of a raspier type of voice a soulful voice kind of, right? it, it yeah. was it was definitely more of a rock voice uh you know she wasn't necessarily somebody up there that was being very prim and proper she was it was very much that she was on stage she was a rock singer and she was bringing it she had a lot of new york attitude which is where she was from and uh the fact that eddie van halen wanted her to replace david lee roth before they they settled on sammy hagar is is pretty amazing that he thought that she brought that attitude to van halen because if you were ever going to have a female singer step into a band like Van Halen, they better be able to, uh, you know, deal with the, you know, very, I'd say almost like masculine based uh, fan base that Van oh, Halen sure. had at that time. Oh, sure. Yeah. You're, you're, you're dealing with a lot of testosterone and, and a lot of rock and roll bands kind of complained about that is they, they wondered how to reach the female demographic and uh, you know, particularly so you, you really have to applaud Somebody who, like you said, has the stage presence like a like a Patty Smythe, to be able to even be considered for a, a position like like a Van Halen, which was which has had such a huge male following. Yeah. So really, I really really like Patty Smythe. I, I will admit that one is she is on my list, okay. and and I, that should be no surprise to you because like <laughs> so we were just talking about her here the other week. All right, uh, so Patty Smythe, um, that song was "Goodbye to You." That was off of their debut album "Scandal" in 1981. My number six artist uh, may not be a, a surprise to show. I just always thought she was super cool, particularly in the in the 1990s. It's funny that um, a lot of my choices are either 70s or 90s. I for some reason I don't have too many 80s. I have a lot singers. of 80s, so that's good. So, uh, but this is uh, one of my favorite singers of the 1990s. This is somebody that we followed a lot. This is Cheryl Crow. She is my uh, she's my number six artist. This is off of her second album. It's called A Change Would Do You mm-hmm. Good. And this is just a great, fun song. And, and, you know, the one thing that anybody that used to... Sheryl Crow took a, a long time to get a solo career going. She actually was... She toured with a lot of uh, major acts. She was a backup singer. Somebody who was attractive enough to be able to be able to put up... Uh, get put up on stage. She toured with Michael Jackson when he, when he did his bad tour. So... Cheryl Crow, very attractive person, but I don't know what she was trying to uh, get get out there in terms of her music or her voice. It took her a long time. She was in her 30s when her when the Tuesday Night Social Club came out in uh, in the earlier 90s. 
So this was the follow-up album to that, which came out in 1997. So you're talking, at that point, Cheryl is probably in her mid-30s mm-hmm. when this album is released. So, it, you know, it's a shame that it took her so long, but this is a pretty cool album, and, and I love this song to death. So Yeah, it's good. Uh, it has a nice vibe to it. You know, for me, Cheryl Crow was kind of like a female version of John Mellencamp, in a way. Kind of... You know, they wrote their own stuff. They they, they were performers. They they you know sang. I, I, I like their voices. They you know we talk about the uh, the lead singers that kind of have more of that stage presence. It wasn't necessarily Sher Crow. It also wasn't John Mellencamp necessarily. You know, they kind of would stand in front of the microphone and sing. But they you know they were musicians. You know, that's what when I think of Sher Crow. That's the main thing I think of. She, you know, she's a musician's musician. Yeah, and when I did uh, some of the follow-up on this on this album uh, that she came out with, this was actually uh, titled Cheryl Crow, and she played a lot of instruments on this on this album. She uh, played either keyboard or guitar or bass or piano. So you know, credit her for for being a skilled musician. First and foremost, and I love her. I've always thought, always thought that Cheryl Crow had a great voice. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can't be a backup singer to major acts on tour if you don't have a great singing voice. So, the fact that she was finally able to kind of get that career going, and then not only did she have that sort of one and done, and I'm not saying Alanis Morissette's follow up album wasn't successful because it was. But I think Sheryl Crow was kind of able to keep that wave going sure. where she was able to maintain sort of that excellence and it wasn't considered like like a, a grand slam or a hole in one right out of the you know, mm-hmm. right out of the gate and then the 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 sales sort of dwindled off. She she was very steady there in the nineties in terms of a following an album sales. And I think she still has a uh you know, a career, you know, she has been able to sustain a career where, you know, she is, she's, she, you don't have to scratch your head and think, you remember back when you remember there was this artist called Cheryl Crow? No, she's stayed relevant. Okay. So that was my number six, uh, lady that rocks Cheryl Crow. Again, that song was, um, a change would do you good off of her second album that was released in now, 1997. That's a good choice. You know, I, and once again, Cheryl Crow was somebody I thought about, you know, not on my list. And once again, we're going to show how similar me and my brother are. That that was the song that I probably would have picked. So good one. So um, number five, I think Sean and I are going to probably, I, I know you've spoken very highly of her in the past. So I'm going to actually go back to 1978 to a duet that she did with Kenny Loggins. Okay. So this is going to be uh, Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. And Stevie Nicks, I, I, when I go back and I listen to her catalog of songs, I am much more of a fan of the duets that she did with uh, with Don Henley, mm-hmm. with Tom Petty, yeah. and especially this is probably my favorite duet here. This is this I I love this song. This is one of this is this yeah. is one of my favorite songs. Period. Uh, I play this song actually now. I, I play it pretty often. And um, Stevie Nicks is not only you know you could argue and say she may be the greatest rock and roll female singer of all time. When you look at her overall career mm-hmm. and her solo work, her work with Fleetwood Mac, and one of these duets like she did with Kenny Loggins here. Yeah, just kind of listening to the song again. Um, Scott had mentioned when we did our, our episode on movies that Rudy had kind of like dropped off his radar. 
That was this song for me. I kind of forgot about this I song. Love, yeah, I mean, I you know, it's funny. Um, I was going through iTunes, and as I do, yeah. and I have a very large catalog of music from my wedding DJ days, and so every once in a while, I just kind of peruse through iTunes and come across them. I came across Kenny Loggins' Greatest Hits, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, wow, I, I forgot about all of these songs, but in along there, I came across this duet with Stevie Nicks, and like, Man, I remember how much as a little kid, sure. even as like a seven or eight year old, yeah. how much I liked this song. It, it was on the radio all the time. It's it's a fun it's a fun song. It's you wouldn't necessarily consider it a rock song, but uh, Stevie Nicks, you can't deny her impact on rock and roll music. This is good. I mean, it's, a, it's I'm, I'm glad you have like uh, you, you've brought this one back to me. I, I spent a lot of time because hint Stevie Nicks is on my list. Uh, coming up with with some Stevie Nicks songs that I, I wanted to go with, and this one did not pop up. Yeah, I, her ability to harmonize with other singers, and she did it with Fleetwood Mac all the time. Sure, people spend a lot of time on her her individual and her solo work, and she's a great solo singer. But the way that, and then maybe it had to do with her, what she learned coming up with Lindsey Buckingham, and you know, working as a singer before Fleetwood Mac. But her ability to harmonize with other people is second to none. She's one of the best harmonizers I think I've ever heard. Yeah, and you know, talking about Fleetwood Mac, you know, uh, you know, maybe when you mentioned you know Christine McVie, about the time we are recording this, you know, recently passed away, and so you think about Fleetwood Mac, and you may be right that you know she really had to develop the talent because how many bands have three lead singers? You know, with Christine it's McVie true. and Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, and they all had hits. Yeah. So when you weren't singing lead, you had to be able to harmonize. Yeah, and the fact that they, you know, it's some of the great rock and roll bands, no matter who they are, they struggle to get along with each other. Sure. And that's probably the lasting power when when bands are able to kind of overcome the personal differences mm-hmm. and have the long you know, career. Fleetwood Mac was able to do that for, for a long period of time. And... uh in order to do so, you got to be good at what you do. And you're right. The, between those three singers, you know, if they can't, if they can't sing together, then the cohesion's not there. And I, I would argue and say that the listenership's probably not going to be there either. Yeah. And I, cause like I said, Kristen McVie has you know, passed away. So I heard a little bit of a, you know, biography of her and, and they talked about when Fleetwood Mac was looking for a guitar player. They wanted to, Lindsey Buckingham in the band and at the time Lindsey and Stevie next they weren't married but they were they were a couple and that Lindsey said he'll only join if Stevie can be in the band and they basically put it to Christine she had the the say yay or nay whether they were coming in and it's kind of interesting that you know she stepped aside so probably saw the talent that that Stevie Nicks had and everyone was better for it and really launched Stevie's career because she was Though her and Lindsay had made an album, at least one album together, mm-hmm. they were nothing. I mean, they weren't known at all. And it's to think now that Stevie Nicks is really right up there with rock royalty. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's that, that's a good song. I, so, I like that one. Stevie, uh, she's my number five lady that rocked. Uh, again, that was um, Whenever I Call You Friend that she did with Kenny Loggins from way back in 1978. Number four, Lady That Rocked, is not going to be a surprise to anyone. And 
probably, I think, the greatest rock and roll voice. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say that greatest rock and roll voice for her time when when they were uh, when they were going strong. And this is going to be Ann Wilson from the band Heart. And I'm going back to 1977, mm-hmm. and this is the song Barracuda. And if you listen to Ann Wilson's voice, Ann Wilson has a stunning voice. Yes. She can hit, you want to talk about a powerful, just a powerhouse voice, that's Ann Wilson. And she could sing, uh, she could come at you aggressively. Uh, again, you know, you talked about Sheryl Crow where she doesn't necessarily have that that stage presence like a Gwen Stefani. Right. But where Ann Wilson... Gwen Stefani can't hold a note to Ann Wilson when it comes to actually belting, belting out the song. And Ann, Ann Wilson has one of the greatest voices in rock and roll. Oh, I'd agree history. with that. I, I I would. It's you know, you know they she came up in an era where you know female rockers weren't necessarily out there at the forefront. If they were, they may have been a little more like how you know. Stevie Nicks would have been in Fleetwood Mac, you know, where it's she's not necessarily up there being raw and aggressive. I think Stevie eventually becomes a little more like that in her solo career. But at least initially she's just part of the group where when it comes to Ann Wilson singing uh, in heart, she is up there as aggressive as any male singer. Absolutely. That, that, that Of that era. And I think it really made her stand out. And to show her diversity as a performer... Uh, you know, when Hart had to, I guess they were sort of forced to change their sound and go a little bit more, uh, as many rock and roll groups from the 1970s, I don't know if they had to, but it, they generated a lot more sales. They sold more records in the 80s, mm-hmm. Hart did, than they did in the 1970s. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that a lot of bands were changing their sound to become more radio friendly. And uh, Hart was no exception. And um, But in order to do so, you have to have a talented lead singer that can make that change. Not every band can do that. And Hart was able to do that successfully because they actually had to go a little bit softer. Um, you know, I think back to their album, Bad Animals, which I think came out in 1986, 1987. Uh, that's got a wide range of songs in there from fast to slow to aggressive. to. Right. And I think my favorite Ann Wilson song was another duet. And that was the duet she did with Mike Reno on the Footloose soundtrack, which mm-hmm. is almost paradise. That's one of you know that's that's a song that when I hear it I li- I stop and I listen to the whole thing and I do not move on to to the next song. I, but Ann Wilson's one of my favorites. She she's number four on my list. I, I I'm not going to comment too much because I, she does appear on my list. Okay, so we'll, we'll get it. I have some other comments on her as well. But I, yes, absolutely, I agree. So I mean, probably our top five is going to be pretty similar. Probably, I, I think. Um, so number three is uh, you know she got her career started. With a with a teenage female band called the Runaways, okay. uh, would be the name of Joan Jett, which is funny because she's number three on my list of all time ladies that rocked. When she started with the Runaways, she wasn't known as one of the singers. She was primarily a guitar player. Right now, they did you know, obviously she did sing some backup and um, Sheree you know, Curry was the lead she, singer, right? And also Lita Ford right. was a part of the Runaways and. You know, I, I I did contemplate putting Lita on on my list, but mm-hmm. there's no comparison in terms of career uh, length that Joan Jett has definitely had a much better rock and roll career, and she's she's one of the you know if you had like a Mount Rushmore of of rock and roll females, I think she's up there. 
because she's had such a long career and she does she's got style she's not necessarily going to be one of those in your face uh performers she's just got such a cool vibe about her i kind of put her in the same realm as like a cheryl crow where she's not necessarily going to be up there and and prowling the stage with the audience she's going to be up there and be like hey i'm cool check me out and, and i i think she's always had that that super cool vibe to her she she definitely brought a bit of a punk attitude. I mean, that was, you know, with, with the runaway, she talked about Lita Ford. You know, Lita Ford, eventually, she becomes a little more of a glam metal sort of performer. And, you know, Joan kind of goes a little more into the punk realm. Although, you know, her biggest hit is I Love Rock and Roll. Right. Which is not a punk song at all. No. And it, that was actually a cover. Most of her big hits were covers. Most, most of her songs were cover songs. And I think what... I appreciate about Joan Jett even more because she didn't perform as just Joan Jett. It was Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Right. That group stayed fairly intact through the most of the eighties. There was there were not too many lineup changes. They they did have some major changes after she did the uh, the movie with Michael J. Fox later day. That was what eighty seven eighty eight something like that. And and she blames that movie for breaking up the band. Okay. Because it kind of put things on hold and there was, you know, the personality issues were going on. And then she vowed that it was never going to happen again. So when she reformed the Blackhearts, they have, they haven't changed a whole lot. You know, it's, it's been 30 plus years. There's been some changes, but not a lot of changes. Yeah. It's usually not to disagreements. It's usually retirement because now they've been around for such a long time. And, um, you know, you brought up, you brought up a good point with, uh, with Joan Jett. They performed together. They actually, the the band in the movie, they made them tour together as a band. Okay. They went around and, and played. So Mike, Michael J. Fox was the guitarist. And mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool because it gave them, before they even shot the movie, they went around and played you know gigs in local bars and clubs as a group. So it, it kind of gave them a tightness when they put the movie together. And I, I thought that was, that was, even though the movie... I don't think it did as well as I what saw, they... Did you see the movie? We watched it, I, yeah. I was going to say, I liked it. We watched it on prison. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And uh, so the the premise of the movie was Joan Jett and Michael J. Fox are brother, or sister and brother. Mm-hmm. She's a single mom. She has a kid. And he, uh, Michael J. Fox's the brother, is very attached to this son because she is kind of a kind of a deadbeat mom where she's always out and about. So that's sort of the the background of the story. But... Part of it is that they're also in a band together, so they really can't stand each other, but they're brother and sister, so they have to coexist because this is how they earn their living. So I, I thought the storyline was, was pretty good. It's a shame that the movie didn't do better. And she was she was actually pretty good on it, and it. I remember hearing, I think, Michael J. Fox talk about it, where he said that, you know, she, you know, being a big-time musician, would give him guitar lessons and basically taught him how to perform on stage. And that he was, then he'd give her acting advice. So they kind of worked with each other with that. And I remember when the movie came out, she got some pretty good reviews. Yeah. And it looked like she might have had a, a career, but she was committed to the music and decided, as I said, that because it cost her the original lineup of the Blackhearts, it wasn't going to happen again, that she needed to focus just on music. Yeah. All right. So that was my number three selection, Joan Jett. I uh, hate myself for loving you. That came out in 1988. Um, Right before my senior year, so that was that was a song, and she actually performed in concert, not too far from us in Lidditz. You know, I was actually, and I was going to go to that concert. So last night, last night I was talking to someone at a dinner, and uh, the name Joan Jack comes up. You know, because 
I like to bounce stuff off people. Then they said, oh, yeah, back in the late 80s, we saw Joan Jett perform at the Littest Rec Center. Yeah, yeah. So you were going to go to that concert? I was going to go to that concert with, with, our, with our friend Scott Sangry. Okay. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't know what happened that we, that we didn't end up not going. But I, I wish I would have because it, I remember people that did go talked about how great it was. Yeah. And think about it. Yeah, she's not she's not somebody who had been around, was just getting started performing at the Linnets Rec Center. We're talking about an established performer who had a number one song, sure, playing at the Linnets, you know, stinking Rec Center. I'm not taking anything away from the Linnets Rec Center, right? But, but still, it's it, not it, an arena. You know, it's not but, a stadium. Yeah, because a, a year, probably a couple of years before that, she's performing at the Spectrum, exactly, in front of people, and now she's at a tiny little Rec Center and. You know, now when she's, I don't know, how old would she be in her 60s probably by now? Yeah, I think she's probably about 65 now. Okay. And, you know, she was on that major stadium tour with Motley Crue this mm-hmm. year. So, she, you know, she's still very relevant, a, a rock and roll Hall of Famer. Very respected. Yeah. She's, uh, you know, it doesn't matter male or female, Joan Jett, across the, uh, the rock and roll industry with her peers is highly respected as a performer and, uh, and singer. And, so. and, you know, it with... Not necessarily what you would have thought would have been her genre, Motley Crue and Poison and Def Leppard. You know, she definitely fit in with that bill. Yep. So that was my number three choice, Joan Jett. Number two isn't going to surprise too many folks. Uh, The song that I selected was um, actually one of the first music videos that Sean and I (laughs) have ever seen. This is that fateful day in January 1983 when we got MTV for the very first time. And we sat spellbound in front of TV for three days straight, I believe. This is one of the songs they played over and over I, again. I don't know if this was the first video. I think this may have been the second video that we saw. Okay. I, I think the first video was U2's Gloria. Okay. Followed by this. And I, every time I hear the intro to that song, I see the people leaping through the air from the video. I picture the guys with the sledgehammers as okay. she's walking through the chain gang yeah. where they're in the dirt and they're just kind of like they're throwing sledgehammers down that that's what i remember but, but my visual this. isn't just of seeing the video my visual is of standing in front of our television and seeing the video yeah. and thinking this is going to change my life <laughs> <laughs> and it did yeah uh so that's why i selected this particular song uh, the pretenders and chrissy hind have done so many Great songs. Uh, probably my favorite song is Brass and Pocket, which sure. is the first one that came out. Right. It was released at the end of 1979, so it's basically a, a 1980s song. But, uh, you know, Brass and Pocket and the video, very memorable. And The Pretenders, again, Chrissy, Chrissy Hine, much like Joan Jett, was, is not going to be a performer who's going to be sort of in your face. She just has, she's a, has a very cool vibe about her. And... She was born in, in Akron, Ohio, but she formed the Pretenders in the UK over in England, which I thought was interesting. And she actually lives in England to this day. That um, Not that she rejects her American life, but she, at a young age, she, she made her way out there. And when I read her bio, it's, it's, pretty interesting. it's a pretty interesting bio. That, Is she still married to Jim Kerr from Simple Minds? No, okay. I don't believe so. Um, but... From what I read about her is that she wanted to make a, a an album in France. She was trying to form a band in France, um, or no, it was it was in England. And in order to stay over in England, she 
was going to lose her citizenship. So she actually had it worked out with uh, one of the sex pistols that they were going to get married just so she could stay in England. Okay. Um, so the day comes around, they go to wherever that is that they need to get married. Justice of the peace would be this in the United States. So they go to the justice of the peace and it just happened to be closed that day. Otherwise they were going to do it. They were going to, they were going to get married, but she ended up forming the, uh, the band, the pretenders, and they went on to uh, major success in the, uh, in the early to mid eighties. Uh, don't get me wrong. is one of my favorite pretender songs that came out in, I believe 1985. So, uh, but I chose this one because of the significance to, to you and I with, with MTV mm-hmm. and, uh, Chrissy Hine from the pretenders is number two on my list. Okay, good. No, I like it. All right. So we finally get to number one and, uh, this is number one by a lot. Uh, you know, I think, I think a lot about, about this particular lady that rocks and I'm so glad that she was able to finally get into the rock and roll hall of fame this year because it was so well and long overdue i'm talking about pat benatar and uh her and her husband neil gerardo who i've been together for now 40 plus years i believe oh easily easily yeah Yeah. uh because she started making music back in the late 70s she is one of the you know there have there are you know i talked about ann wilson and and her powerful singing voice you know, I said she probably does. Pat Benatar might be a very close number number two as far as somebody who has uh, just a complete package of a rock and roll singer. And I'm talking not talking male, female. Her, her list of songs from, she's one of the first artists played on MTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she had, she kind of came onto the scene in like 1979. And right away, they had huge, huge hits, big albums, big album sales, and so she from 1979 to 1983, she was right up there with among the top five artists of that era. You know, you're talking a good five, six year period. She took a little bit of time off after she had her child, and I believe it was 1984, 1985, came back with another album in 1989, 80, I'm sorry. Um, and she continues to perform to this day with her husband Neil Gerard. Absolutely, and they still rock. I, I was watching them on on Axis TV, a concert that they did probably about three years ago, and she sounds great. She sounds just like she does right here on this song. You know, and and I agree with you. I mean, you know that you know Pat Benatar really kind of sets the standard for female rockers. It, there there isn't a list that's complete without her name on it. And but one of the things that I always liked was the partnership that she had with her husband. And I, I remember, I don't know if it was behind the music or, or what I watched, but she said, you know, when they basically signed her and decided they were going to make her the solo artist, she did not want that. She said that she always looked at Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, how they could play off each other. And she would look at the Rolling Stones with Mick and Keith. And she said, I want that. You know, so they held auditions. And, you know, Neil Gerardo came in and plugged in. And she remember she said, because she thought he was really good looking. And she says, boy, I hope he can play. Yeah. And man, can he play. Yeah. And and uh, the humility of when a, when a singer is, is humble. And she could have gone into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame earlier without Neil Gerardo. Without Neil Gerardo as, uh, you know, as part of 
the the band. She could have mm-hmm. gone in as a soloist, and she said, "Nope, I'm going to wait." Yeah, and you know, to her credit, they finally got in this year. And like I said, it's long overdue. One of the things that stands out to me, and you want to, you always want to think about how big somebody is or how important somebody is. You know, I think back to the mid '80s when people were wearing like the Michael Jackson leather leather mm-hmm. jackets, that kind of thing. Think back to the movie Fast, Fast Times Ridge High, High yeah. when they are in the cafeteria and uh, Stacy points out and says, oh, that girl looks like Pat Benatar. Yeah, yeah there's three of them, yeah. she says. And she points out the other ones that are standing there in the uh, in the cafeteria. So even, you know, we're talking 1982 mm-hmm. at that point, uh, Pat Benatar was still at the top of her game. And for me, best best uh, lady that rocks of all time. I I agree because she's on my list. We'll be talking about her pretty soon, and she's uh, she's pretty hot on my list as well. So that concludes your list. That that that's good, and I like the fact that yours is a little bit different than mine. Okay, and I also like the fact that even though we pick some of the same people, we have different songs other than one. Okay, so All right. um, okay, so now we'll get into my list, and I I I have my my top ten. And then I also have four honorable mentions. So I'm go- we're going to go through my top 10 first. Okay. And then I'll do the honorable mentions. Actually, some songs for some of my, my honorable mentions. And I'll go ahead and, and play the first one. And this may be familiar to people who are listening to sure. a podcast such as Gen X Playback. And, you know, I that's what, that just proves that Scott and I do not compare notes. Because, you know, there's a couple other songs. I had a list of, you know, Love's Got a Line on You is probably a song that I... I may have selected. I went back and forth with those. I, I didn't want to go with the Warrior because mm-hmm. that's the big hit, right? And um, but you know, we we as we talked about Patty Smythe. We gave a lot of, a lot of the details about her. But I I think that just goes to show you how somebody like like Patty Smythe. I think is just a little bit underappreciated. Yeah. But those of us who are from that era and kind of remember what a big deal that I guess the fact that. I don't know that Scandal was a big deal, but we know who she, we knew who she was. Yes, yeah. I think she elevated Scandal. Yeah. I think you take Patty Smythe out of Scandal, and you're probably dealing with your average California house band. Right, right. You know, they they certainly. You know, I, I don't want to take anything away because I I don't even know the. Um, she kind of had like a musical partner in that the the guitar player I guess right. wrote the material when she sang. But you know, once again, we're, we're talking female. Ladies that rocked and and Patty Smythe definitely rocked and yeah and without going too much into it again I I really wish that there would have been more out there that we could have listened to from Patty Smythe. Did you point. see the bands reunited episode yes, where I, they did Scandal? Yes, I did. I did see that one. Yeah, and that it that that's a good one to watch for for those of you who have never seen it. It I thought that was really interesting how, you know, they kind of brought her back again. And, and at the time, she is not really, I don't think she's performing a lot because they, they meet her in that restaurant. She's with her daughter and she's kind of a mom at that point. Yeah. And then they get together, they get on stage and she come, it becomes Patty Smythe again. Yeah. It, it was just amazing how just the way she just immediately took on that role again. Yeah. And it's, again, just to watch her perform. And her voice is unique. She has such a unique voice. And it's so it's such a cool voice, I think, because of the range. It's like you're combining the the sort of the the range power of an Ann Wilson. Yeah. But yet you're giving it the soulfulness of like a Joan Jett. 
just picture Joan Jett with like two more octaves on her. And I think that's Patty Smythe. Yeah. And, and I, I, she's got a great voice as well. And still very pretty. So that, yeah. that doesn't hurt either. So, um, the next artist, uh, I'm going to go back to, to a band that was, she's lead singer of a band. Um, it, it mostly the seventies, early eighties, you know, kind of had, had a bit of a crossover. This is a band that kind of changed their sound a little bit. They, they started out kind of the punk scene, became part of the new wave scene, and eventually uh, kind of go on to become a little more of the, of the, of the rap scene of all things. But early on, in the late 70s, Debbie, Harry, and Blondie yeah. was pretty much a straight-ahead CBGB's kind of punk rock band. Yeah, and Debbie Harry was on my list of, of consideration. She was one of the first names that I think popped up into my head because she really is kind of at the forefront of when you're looking, thinking about female rock singers. Her name always comes up, and I think justifiably so. Blondie was not a band, unfortunately... And we've talked about this before. Me being three years younger than you, I don't think I was old enough to appreciate Blondie when it was when it was at its peak. I uh, when when they kind of made that comeback in the late '90s. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, this band really plays well. These guys are good musicians. And Blondie just wasn't a sound that punk sound wasn't my cup of tea back. You know when we're talking late '70s. It, it wasn't. And then, they, but they had their little bit of a disco sound there for a while with um, the um, which song was that that I'm trying to think of with um, uh, yeah Heart of Glass Heart of Glass yeah Heart of Rapture. Glass kind of Rapture was the rap song that I'm right. kind of referencing uh, you know Call Me you know that was a big hit um, this is a super popular band yeah you know and so I I think you're right when you, if you see a list where they'll talk about um, you know female uh, singers uh, Debbie Harry usually pops up she always yeah she's always in the discussion so she is number eight yeah. on my list so good, you know, good I, choice or I'm sorry number nine on my list was Debbie Harry now number eight now I go I go in a little bit of a different direction so here's where I kind of take a little bit of a liberty where I said it's not necessarily rockers although she you know depending you could say she rocked with her earlier group the Go-Go's oh yeah but this is Belinda Carlisle and I get weak. She's on my list as well. Is she really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I considered her, especially with the Go-Go's. Um, it's funny that this is probably my favorite Belinda Carlisle oh, song. It's by far my favorite Belinda Carlisle yeah. song. Yeah. This, this song brings back a lot of good memories with my friends and hanging out. It was yeah. a great, it was a good time. And um, yes, this album, which uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth mm-hmm. was probably the, the biggest hit, but this was by far my favorite. It was, and you know, she was somebody that I don't think people thought she was going to have a career after the Go Go's. Uh, I mean, yes, she was the lead singer. Of course, they always get a lot of attention. But the Go Go's, you know, you could say they were kind of a flash in the pan there for a little while, right? And as the Go Go's were starting to, I guess, sort of end their run as a group, they took a, about a year or so later. She reappears, and her look has changed significantly. Totally, she lost a lot of weight change her hair quite a bit it, it doesn't even look like the same person uh, when she was when she was in the go-go's i mean she was always cute yeah and then all of a sudden she reappears and holy cow she's stunning right and uh, you know she does the mad about you very popular song and mm-hmm. video which 
uh, Andy Taylor from uh, Duran Duran mm-hmm. played the uh, guitar lead on that on that particular song. Kind of get herself back into the the uh, the mind the the mindset of of the mainstream. But this album here is really what kind of shot her again back into probably at the same level she was with the Go Go's before. But this was a great album, right? And it just you know came across as very very classy. And uh, you know to me, as you said, there were good times for you. It was a time in my life where it was really good times, and and that was the soundtrack for what was happening. The number next on my list, number seven, is going to be a, a kind of a personal favorite of mine. Okay. And this is Jody Watley. Uh-huh. I, I yeah. love Jody Watley. Jody Watley is, uh, you know, for those of you who are Jody Watley fans, you remember that she was in a band called Shalimar. Yep. It came in the sudden. Jody Watley became very popular on the show Soul Train. Mm-hmm. She was one of the first celebrity dancers that would have that came out of Soul Train. So she gets this recording deal. She joins the band, or they, they form the band Shalimar. Very successful, and then Jody leaves. And just like with Belinda Carlisle and the Go-Go's, no one thought that she would have any success. Especially Howard Hewitt, who was the lead singer of Shalimar, thought that Jody Watley was, was a fool and it wasn't going to amount to anything. She comes out with this album. And I, I remember a friend of mine saying, um, Hey, have you heard this song by Jody Watley? And I go... Jody Wiley from Shalimar? <laughs> well, and I think what kind of made this album sort of come out of nowhere was the fact that when she left Shalimar, we're not talking like we had said about Belinda Carlisle being away for about a year. Mm-hmm. This was longer. Oh, yeah. We're talking four years, I think. Uh, this 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 debut album for Jody Watley was like late '86, maybe 86, early '7. Yeah. So for me, because you know I graduated in '87, mm-hmm. and so this is kind of the soundtrack of what was going on spring of '87. Right. This wasn't the initial like, this wasn't even like the biggest hit, but it was something that I, was, I, I can still visualize us getting ready to go to the beach for right. senior week. Okay. And we're playing this in the car. And um, make no mistake that this this debut album uh, won uh, the Grammy for Best New Artist and is considered one of the greatest debut albums ever, you know, by any... By Even any though album. she had, you know, three or four albums with Shalimar. Yes, yeah. Uh, but then, because also a part of Shalimar was Jermaine Stewart, who had actually the first hit post-Shalimar before Jody Wiley. Jody Wiley kind of went off the radar... But then she comes out with this powerhouse album. I, I think it's a great choice. Yeah, and you know, and Jody Watley also had a career in the '90s. So part of the reason why I picked her was because you know Shalimar is the very end of the '70s. You know, she has her career in the '80s and then a little bit into the '90s. And just to name some of the things that she had was, um, you know, uh, "Don't You Want Me" was I think was the mm-hmm. big song that came out initially. Then she did "Real Love" and her the ballad, everything. And you remember kind of she worked with Eric B. and Rakim mm-hmm. in the like the early 90s with Friends. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of when hip-hop was just starting to, to, you know, lay hold where you were starting to see a little bit of a crossover where popular artists were then singing along with rappers. And it was it was kind of a big thing at the time. Right. Yeah. Hip-hop was, was trying, was still finding its footing at that point where uh, uh, they were, you know, bands were kind of coming up with a sound and and that that friend song really does kind of epitomize the early early parts of hip-hop right so but i can only pick one song so we're going to go with jody wadley's looking for a new love all right so jody wadley 
she came in, as I flip my sheet over here, so Jody came in at number seven. So number six is an artist that Scott had on his list. We're gonna, there's going to be a lot of repeats as we move forward. My top six. This is, and fortunately, Scott and I had a different take on what we, what we were going to come up with. Okay. But once again, we're going back to Alanis Morissette. And for all you Alanis Morissette detractors out there who don't like her, I, I, I couldn't disagree more. Yeah. Um, again, I, I talked about Jagged Little Pill. It, it's really a shame that, and, and I think she even talked about that when she, when she came out with her second album, the follow-up to this, mm-hmm. that she was like, what do I say now? You know, it's like, and that's so hard. And it's not a dig on the artist. You know, the fact that artists can come out with second and third and fourth albums. But I think Jagged Little Pill, for her, was so personal. Well, think about it. You talk about that with the lyrics. Like, even this song, you learn. The whole idea, as, you know, we'll play it a little bit, and... It's, you know, you live, you learn, you, you know, you cry, you learn. And it's, there's a lot of personal issues that she's dealing with. And it is about development. And part of the reason why I think for me in 1995, I liked it. And, you know, similar age to, you know, what, you know, she's probably our age. I don't know. She's exactly. 48. Now. Okay. So I it, looked it up. <laughs> oh, okay. So going through life issues and, and, dealing with those things and, and I you know I would listen to this song is you know when you're dealing with something it's like hey you got to go through life you got to live you got to learn yeah and at the time when it, we're talking 1995 when when Jagged Little Pill is released you are starting to see a little bit uh, the, the grunge era is people are starting to kind of come out of the grunge a little bit right and this is a very you want to talk about an introspective album where you're looking inward and basically putting your guts out to the public and saying, this is me. I don't think there's any more album, uh, an album that defines that more than this one. But there's some positivity to it as well. You know, it does start out with the anguish of a song like You Ought to Know. But, it, you know, this song here actually has a very positive it's message. It's totally positive. And I, and I think that's sort of where grunge, where grunge stayed in the negative yeah. in many cases. Right. Now... Uh, I think where she kind of eclipsed that is, yeah, I'm I'm down in the dumps, but now I'm trying to find my way out of it. And it, it's a song where, unlike the song you picked, you had to pl- put it down because the, of the language. This is almost a song that you know, a parent might actually say the lines to a child. Right. You know that you you know you're going to deal with things in life. You're going to learn from it. You're going to get better. I always like that song, and um, you know. So she came in at number six on my list. Now the next one. Uh, the lady who came in at uh, number five, you mentioned, but she did not make your list. Okay. So uh, I'll hit play on this one. All right, here we go. Not not a huge hit for her, but I think you'll probably pick up on, on who it is. Okay. It's it's definitely kind of has that similar to her other songs. This is Lita Ford. Yeah. This is Playing With Fire. Not her, her big hit. Um, you know, kiss me deadly. So it kind of has that similar type of sound, right? And this was this was a really good album. And Lita, Lita struggled to 
make it as a solo artist. Uh, I'm sure it was probably frustrating for her to see a former bandmate like Joan Jett oh, yeah. have the early success that she did. And it took Lita a while to um, you know, make it as a solo artist. This album came out in 1988. Uh, and me and my friends, we took to this album immediately. Just the fact that, obviously... You know, Lita being attractive, oh, yeah. which doesn't hurt. It, it was all part of the image. But there's a lot of cred to this this album as well. Uh, you know, she showed that she certainly is a good musician. You know, she she wrote the songs, so she she's proven she's a good songwriter. She's an excellent guitar player. Yes. You know, her voice is really good. It's so different from Joan Jett's. You know, they're in the same band, and at the time, neither of them really sang a whole lot in the Runaways. Right. It's kind of amazing that that the two people that were kind of side pieces in the band go on to become humongous. Right. I remember I I was watching a thing on VH1 and they were talking to, I think it was like VH1's top 100 whatever, 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 and they were interviewing Dee Snyder because Lita Ford showed up on the list. Okay. And Dee, who was friends with Lita Ford before Lita even released this album, because she was getting ready to release the album, and she was worried about what are people going to think about it. You know, are, this gonna, are they going to be accepting of it? And Dee was like encouraging her, saying, "You're a great musician. Just remember that you you made a good album. You're a great musician. That should be enough." And then Dee kind of smiles and says, "Yeah." And the next thing I know, I see a video of her in some exercise thong licking a block of ice <laughs> on MTV. Right. He said. I didn't think she needed to do that because she was great, but um, let's sold this, again. I, you know, good choice of songs. I, yeah. I really like this one. So too. I, I, that's why I went a little obscure. So Lita Ford, I, I, I like Lita Ford. I, you know, I, I still think that uh, you know her music stands up, and and that kind of plays a little more to my personal taste. I, I definitely, um, you know, I, I want to do a whole episode at some point where we, uh, where we kind of do our our glam rock, you know. Or maybe we even title it "Don't Call It Hair Music" uh, episode. But uh, Lita Ford, she was, um, you know, she was a, I don't want to say a major player during that era, but she definitely fit in really well with the other bands of that time. So, next up, number seven on my list. There's going to be a little bit of a repeat here, uh, artist from what Scott had, but I believe that'd be Ann Wilson. That would be Ann Wilson, but I, I have both Ann and Nancy. Okay. Because I, I went for a twofer with this one, so it's kind of in the 80s. And I thought about that as well. This yeah. is on the Bad Animals. It, I, know, had, I had this album. Because I think Nancy plays a part as well. I mean, so she's you know the guitar player. She. I thought about doing These Dreams, which is Nancy singing, but Ann's such, you know, she's such a great singer. Yeah. Yeah, and this this album is, um, I think this was maybe their best '80s album by far. They they had the comeback in the in the mid '80s, uh, but this was sort of their, I think, their. It was about as close to a throwback to their '70s sound as they could yeah. have gotten to. I think. Right. Um, but this was by far their most successful in, in terms of album sales. Dead Animals was their their top selling album of all time. Now. I don't know if this is their favorite period, the Wilson sisters. It's their most successful. Right. I, I think they probably were given a lot of songs. Uh, like, you know, Mutt Lang is um, uh, All I Want to Do is Make Love to You is becomes a song that, you know, it's a number one hit. Right. And it's not something they came up with. Where in the past, in the 70s, they were writing their own material. That's correct. Yeah. So I think it's tough sometimes 
for artists when that happens to them. But I can only look at it myself from, you know, the consuming public. I, I like this period. Right. Well, you know, I talked about Diane Warren before in my honorable mention. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Diane Warren wrote for Cheap Trick, the song <laughs> The Flame, which was their biggest hit of their career. Right. And they didn't, they absolutely did not want to do that song because they didn't write it. Right. Up to that point, Cheap Trick had written all of their own songs. And the record company basically said at that point in their career, you guys need some stuff to play it on the radio or we're going to drop you. Right. So that's why they chose to, to go with the Diane Warren song. So I, I can kind of see where maybe some bands would have would struggle with that because they had written their own stuff for so, for so long. Um, but good choice. Again, good choice of song. This is my favorite song off of the Bad Animals. Okay, so as well. so we'll, we'll next we're going to go to number three, and everybody in the top three, it, it you know it's rock reality as we've mentioned before. So once again, another artist that Scott has picked, and you, you know I'm I'm glad that you kind of went '70s and some '90s with some people because uh, you know it, it appears I may be stuck in the '80s because you know I really like kind of that sound that was happening, especially with a lot of the of the female singers. At that time, I, I just think that there was a nice sound. I don't have her on the list, but because you talk about Diane Warren, you know, there's a sound that Cher kind of took on, and it's not dissimilar from what's being played. But anyway, so uh, my next artist and next song is w- one of my favorite songs ever, and yeah. it's another Stevie Nicks song. Yeah. It's Talk to Me. I'm trying to remember which album this was. This was a. Is it Belladonna? Mm, I think it was later. <clears throat> I don't have it in front of me. I think this one might have come out in like 86. This was, uh, I, I remember this song being coming out in my junior year in high school, so it would have been like the 87, 88 range, somewhere okay. around there. Um, but yeah, this was this was, this was was a good song. I, I do remember this one. And, uh, you know, with Stevie Nicks, there's so many to choose from. Right. But this was this was probably the, the heyday. This is like the peak of her. Uh, was probably the last album that she had that sold like when she was cranking them out year after year after year. This might have been the last one before things sort of started to, to dwindle a little bit. But uh, she was at the height of her powers here. Yeah, and I think this song does a good job of kind of demonstrating her voice. You know, she has that we talked about with some of the other female singers, kind of that natural, almost like rasp. When Stevie Nicks sings, you know who it is. Exactly. There, yeah. There's no doubt that it's her singing. There's, um, I made that I made that comment uh, because Billy Joel had made had said that how he hated his voice, and uh, but what what he ended up learning to understand about what his voice gave him was a unique sound. So when you hear Billy Joel sing. You're not mistaking him for anybody else. Right. Just like a lot of the great singers, the great artists that are out there. When you hear their voice, immediately you know who they are. When you hear Stevie Nicks, you know it's Stevie Nicks and nobody else. And that's why it's kind of amazing when you when you read biographies or, or watch documentaries, when you hear that there were times where she doubted her ability. And it's like, how could you not think that you're a great singer? And that, you know, that she'd lack confidence at times. And so... It's uh, you know just kind of amazing to me because there's nobody that sings like Stevie Nicks and you know one of the one of my all-time favorite songs you know from one of my all-time favorite singers. 
So the next one on number two on my list. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about that this episode was kind of inspired by our sister Lori. So I had to throw um, a song by this artist that I heard coming from not only Lori's room okay. at one time, but this was, I think she actually had this on 8-track. Oh, wow. I think this one was played in the car. So, oh, I know so exactly this was, who this is. So this is the first song off the Crimes of Passion album. Yeah. As soon as you said 8-track in the car, I knew exactly who you were talking about. This reminds, this reminds me of a lot of uh, car trips to school. And right there, you have the very distinct Neil Gerardo guitar sound. Right. You know, we talk about some of the the voices where they're recognizable. You can pick Neil's guitar out easily. Absolutely. And when this album came out, ABC had a TV show on Friday nights. It was called Fridays. Yeah. I remember. I remember uh, when they announced that the musical performer. For Fridays was going to be Pat Benatar. Yeah. And it actually let out this audible yay. That you did. I did, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that before or after. Uh, I, I, I have watched that replay on Friday, Fridays on YouTube 20, 30 times. Okay. Yeah, I just remember. She does being, a great job of hitting me with her best shot. I just remember being so excited. Yeah. Uh, she was a big deal. She really was. I, you know, as, as I said, she was my number one. Uh, my my choice for Ladies of Rock. She's my she's my all time. So, yeah, yeah. Good choice. The hardest thing for me was picking a song. Yeah, there, there's so many there's so many great ones to uh, to choose from. And the album the the song that I chose uh, was probably the most obscure one off the the um the probably the more popular one off of that album was uh, Shadows of the Night. I actually I, I, that was on my list. It got scratched off. Yeah, but uh, again another another great song. And part of what made her gave her so much appeal was the the videos that they shot mm-hmm. with it. She was one of the first artists that really did embrace MTV to her advantage. Sure, yeah, sure, yep, yep. You know, Pat Benatar stands out. So that, Pat's number two easily. You know, and here's the thing: in my top five, I think you could on any given day these could change. So for me, my top five is my top five. The the I went argue with anybody saying hey pat should be number one like you did i could easily say "Eh, yeah okay i could be convinced all right i'm going to hold off on number one for a little bit i'm going to do my honorable mentions next so these um these are just artists i liked so here's the first one that i liked america's sweetheart paula abdul paula abdul still america's sweetheart this this album, from what I read about it, it took forever for this for this album to get any kind of recognition. It's kind of like Guns N' Roses in a way that that it, it seemed it was out there for like six yeah. months, and um, she released a song that didn't chart, and it wasn't until she finally got the straight up video on mm-hmm. MTV that people paid any attention to this album, but. What a fun album. Uh, you know, it just she had a she again had a, such a cool vibe to her and she's so talented because as as good as she is singing on this album, uh, you, if you watch the music videos as many of you have, if not all of you, sure. Uh, she could dance her butt off. And of course, you know Paula Abdul was a Laker girl, you know she uh, you know did the choreography for the for the Laker girls and 
course, American Idol brought her back into prominence once again. Right. And, you know, I, I was watching some like TikTok videos she put out recently. She can still really dance. And uh, when I the first time I, I ever saw Paula Abdul on television, I didn't know who it was or that it was Paula Abdul, but I talked about Janet Jackson being my number 11. Yeah. And I mentioned the song Nasty, and she's in that video. She's one of the, yeah, the other two right. girls that's in the movie theater, yeah. sitting with Janet when the uh, when the whole video starts. So I, I, you know, it's just a little side note on Paula. So Abdul. Paula Abdul, forever your girl. One of my honorable mentions. Uh, you know, Paula's great. Next up, we have somebody I talked about in my albums. Okay, this is Cindy Lauper with "Money Changes Everything." Okay. Good song. I like the song because the beginning. You can really tell that she's working with Eric Bazilli and Rob Hyman of, yeah. of, of the Hooters. One of my, in a, one of our favorite groups of all time. You know, uh, with with Rick Chertoff, uh, you know the, um, the the Eric and Rob's uh, friend from UPenn that they met there, and Rick Chertoff is the producer. He brings them in, and so to me, it just has that great timeless sound. Just a mixture of where I think those guys did a great job writing for the female voice and Cindy Lauper of course she contributed as well right with this you know, I, she, I don't know if she wrote on this one or not but she wrote on the album and but of course you know, she has once again a very unique timeless voice and this was the fourth the song that you're playing here was the fourth single that was released off of this album but probably my favorite yeah you know, uh, you know Time After Time is a great song yes I love it but this one, like yeah, you said, singing in the background. It's got such a, it's got such a Hooters vibe to sure. it. I think that's probably why I'm drawn to this and particular. Same song. for me. I mean, it's that it's people that aren't from our area are, are probably saying, "Why don't these guys get off talking about the Hooters? Why do they always talk about <laughs> the stinking Hooters? The Hooters were a big deal in Philadelphia. We have listeners in Philadelphia. That's folks. right." And they would agree with us. The Hooters were a big deal. They still are to this day. Yes, absolutely. So, Cindy Lauper, one of the all-time uh, classic albums. She's so unusual. And like my brother there, my favorite song off the album. Okay. Next up, we're going to go a little bit different genre. Okay. All right. Let Very talented musician. Mm-hmm. I don't remember this being part of the radio. Yeah, this is quite a buildup. Maybe I picked the wrong version uh, when I selected this on Spotify. But this is definitely the album cut. Of course, this is going to be Sheila E. and the Glamorous Life. Okay. There we there, go. There yeah, I kicked it. Sheila E., uh, an incredibly talented drummer. I mean, she has some other things that, you know, she songs, you know, Scott had, has talked in, in a past episode about, you know, the movie Crush Groove and how important it was to both of us because it really kind of was introducing hip-hop culture right. to the masses. And we both really liked Run DMC and, uh, you know, they were the stars, but Sheila E. Was, was brought in as a star. And, you know, she was somebody that was one of Prince's protégés. Yes. And you can definitely hear Prince's influence in the music. But, you know, Sheila was... was an incredibly talented drummer. I mean, her dad, I think uh, he's the drummer for Carlos Santana for yes. many years. So, you know, she has great musical chops and, you know, 
while her other songs like Holly Rock, uh, you know, that she came out wasn't that great. Uh, it's okay. But um, I love Bizarre, you know, but I, this to me is a song I can keep going back to time and time again. Yeah, this is a timeless song. I would agree with that. It's It came out in 1984. One of the best songs of that year, I think. Uh, but yeah, as you said, she she's not a performer because she, she has to play percussion. She's not going to be able to move around on a stage, but yet her stage presence is very strong. She did a lot of really cool things with the sticks. Yes. I remember her bouncing them off the floor right back there and then going right back to the drum again. Yeah. Uh, so, as, as Sean said, she came from a musical family. Her dad was a musician. Her brother was also a musician. And... Uh, but still, you got to be good to do to do what you do. And as a, as a uh, as a singer and a performer, yeah, this this does rank up there with one of the one of the best albums of the of the 1980s. And so when I set the uh, the parameters of of ladies that rocked, you know, to me, Shelly rocks. Sure. So I think that fit. All right. So my final honorable mention. It, this this we'll see if people remember this one. Okay. Kind of a little similar to the Lita Ford vibe. Kind of, we'll give it a little bit of a build up here. Is it? Uh, you I think know? I know who it is. There we go. Now it's becoming familiar. Yeah. I'm waiting for the drum to kick in. There we go. <laughs> We're talking about Vixen. Yeah. Edge of a broken heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this this song. For those of you that have Sirius XM, this song still gets played a lot. Yeah. And and I don't turn it off. This is a good song. Uh, Vixen, they, uh, these girls could play. Absolutely. Just kind of let it play out a little bit here. Yeah. You know, a, a, a period that I don't think it's as much respect as what it should. You know, you, you talk about with uh, Sirius XM and their, their hair nation. Mm-hmm. It, it's still, I think, a genre that's very popular among our age group that lived through it and uh, I don't know where it stands today with the younger generation. I think it's coming around again. I think they're starting to embrace it somewhat because I've had some some younger people ask me for to give them suggestions of who to listen okay. to, other than the same few bands that they always hear sure. played. And you know, Vixen, unlike you know some artists where you might have had in the studio other people playing the instruments, this is a band. You know, yeah. a, a, an all-girl band with that that. Got up there like, like, as if they were Poison or any other band. Well, you mentioned Poison. I think they at one point uh, toured with Motley Crue. They were the opening band for Motley Crue. Okay. It was either Girls, Girls, Girls or Doctor Feelgood tour. It was one of. Uh, it might have been Doctor Feelgood, but uh, we're talking. We're talking a major, a major act. One of your favorite concerts of all time. You had, you had mentioned before in one of the previous episodes about Cinderella mm-hmm. and and Bon Jovi. So to be, uh, you know, opening for a, a major act is is quite a big deal, and and to stay on tour with them. So sometimes they would have regional bands that would travel, but I think Vixen did the whole tour with Motley Crue. Um, yeah, they had a lot of credibility in their industry, and they still get out and play. They do. You know, they they'll do festivals, and so it's. Um, I've I've watched some of their videos on YouTube at the festivals, so it's. Uh, uh, I always like Vixen, and I think we they need a shout-out. So finally, we're going to go to my number one. Okay. No surprise to, uh, to so, so. our listeners. Yeah. I thought about playing this song. Uh, 
So we're going to go Joan Jett. Not I Love Rock and Roll, but not this, lo- this may be her most rocking song that she's ever done. This is Do You Want to Touch Me by Joan Jett. That's great. Oh, yeah, it's a flawless song. And the one thing I'll credit Joan Jett with, you know, we sort of mentioned that she, a lot of her hit songs were covered. Sure. But if I had to choose between version to version, almost every time I choose her version. Absolutely. She was a great interpreter of of songs. She made it sound like Joan Jett. Right. Yeah, she she could take a song and make it her own. Yeah, because, I mean... The song's written by that knucklehead Gary Glitter. I didn't even know it till years and years and years later. And then I heard his version. I was like, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of hear the, the back, you know, the kind of the drum beat behind it. Sure. That sounds like Gary Glitter. Yeah. But that's the, the rest but of we, it is, is all Joan Jett. We're, we were too young to even really know much about Gary Glitter. <laughs> You know? I like how you refer to him as that knucklehead Gary Glitter. <laughs> well, he did spend some time in jail for being yeah. a pedophile. I mean, yeah. he's a horrible person. And it, it's, you know, to me, like I said, this that is the song that I associate with Joan Jett as much as anything else is with I Love Rock and Roll. And, you know, to me, that's her song. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that was, that was definitely a song that I considered playing tonight. I'm, I'm glad you chose that one. And we went a little different with, with our songs because that way the listeners got to hear yeah. two different songs from from who we feel is you know, one of the best. Uh, you're right. You could take probably any one of uh, the, the ones that we agreed upon. You could probably throw them in just about any order. Uh, but still, they are great, great uh, rock musicians, male or female. And, and you know, the, the title of this was Ladies That Rocked. Uh, but they're just they're just great rock and roll artists. I, right. I think is what is what you know we want to try and get across to our to our listeners today. I think there's a kind of a, a common theme and to the type of artists that that we liked. I mean, they while they're very different. I mean, you, you can't get more different than Jody Watley with Joan Jett. You think on the surface, but but in a way, you know, they just they both had kind of a charisma. They they both kind of get you energized in a way in a different way and that's what i love about music is you can have so many people that are you know completely different that still speak to you musically yeah and i just excuse me there are a lot of names here that we didn't necessarily go over that i'm sure a lot of people are saying why were they left off the list um grace slick jefferson airplane jefferson starship starship Mm -hmm. thought about her uh you know she's she had a long long career in rock music would uh, make a lot of people's list. Uh, Martha Davis from the Motel. I, I thought about Martha Davis. Uh, yep. She was she was one of one of my favorites. That was one of my, you know, as I started to get into music, the Motels was that California kind of the L.A. sound, that new romantic L.A. sound that was starting to uh, make headway. In it the was only 80s. the lonely was kind of their big hit. So uh, you know that was somebody that I considered as well. Melissa Etheridge, I I considered her as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know that's that's a name that I'm sure a lot of people would would think of as well. Uh, you know, she was huge in. The, she actually, you had talked about Melissa Etheridge when you went out to college. I, I did, and and so when I went out to, um, it it would have been like '88. I was in Kansas mm-hmm. going to college, 
and Melissa Etheridge is from Kansas. And, you know, I was, I went to a school really near, close to Wichita. And so Melissa Etheridge was getting played by the local DJs because she kind of was just a local artist who had just signed this record deal that they were kind of getting behind. And I remember I went out and I bought it right away because she was somebody that I, you know, I thought just went toe to toe with the, with the type of male artists I was listening to. You know, I talked about, you know, the Mellencamps of the world Mm and, uh, you know, people like that where, you know, Tom Petty, it's like, to me, Melissa Etheridge fit right into, into, to that type of genre. Sure. Uh, Tori Amos was, was big in the night. She's not somebody I thought of, but yeah. Okay. Laura Branigan. Mm -hmm. She was, uh, she was more pop, but, uh, she's kind of a pioneer in, in, uh, for Diane Warren in terms of songwriting. Talk about her in our very first episode. Yeah. Uh, Cher. You had mentioned Cher. Uh, Janis Joplin was a name that came up, even though she, we're talking seventies, eighties and nineties. She's like maybe what, a year or two into the seventies. I, I, that's somebody that, you know. I wasn't a huge Janis Joplin fan. Jewel, I was. At, I, I was. Jewel. A, I was a fan of Jewel. Yeah. Um, she almost made my list. Uh, Ricky Lee Jones. I don't yeah. know if you remember Ricky sure, Lee I Jones do. from yeah. the '70s. That's uh, Chucky's in Love. Yeah, I yeah. really liked. Uh, I really thought she was kind of a cool mm-hmm. uh, singer. Uh, Courtney Love was okay. a name that came up. Wasn't necessarily make my favorite list, but you can't deny she had a very successful career. Madonna. I, yep, would be on that. Would be on that list. Terry Nunn. I, Terry from, Nunn from, was from she Berlin. just got cut from my list. Yeah, uh, she almost made my list as well. Now, did she make it? What would what song would you have played for Terry Nunn? For for Berlin was the band that she she fronted. I mean, uh, the the song that probably everybody would would recognize that I thought was was very cool was Metro was was probably so you weren't going to go take my breath away off a of Top Gun no. No, I, I like the song, but I liked Metro better. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I tended to gravitate more towards the faster songs as opposed to the ballads. But what about uh, No More Words? That was a good song. Yeah. That was a good song. Very cheesy video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Bonnie and Clyde video. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not nearly as cheesy as Take My Breath Away, if you see at the very end where they're all the, the guys are standing up there with their uh, their uh, headgear on like they're pilots, but I, I like the song Metro. That's the one I would have picked. Metro is a good song. Liz Fair, uh, okay. somebody who in the late nineties got, got very popular. And uh, finally Linda Ronstadt was somebody whose name, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I thought of as well. I, again, uh, Linda Ronstadt is probably the queen of the cover song. You know, we talked about Joan Jett. Linda Ronstadt made a huge career. She might've been the, the greatest female artist of the 1970s. You, you could probably make that claim. Um, and she would almost made my list, uh, but she did not. So those are some kind of honorable mention names that, that I considered. Well, I had, to, you know, a lot of the, the same, there was a couple more that I almost put on my list. Um, one that, um, you know, I had, uh, I, I kind of, I definitely like pop and we've established that I, I almost put the Spice Girls on the list Okay, to become one. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that is, you know, I think a great song. Sade. Is somebody sure, I, I consider putting on the list. Yeah. Um, you know, I there was a period in the 90s <clears throat> where I, I really liked country music. I listened to quite a bit of country music. Shania Twain almost made the list. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked choice. a lot about Mutt Lang. Well, you know, she was fully produced by Mutt Lang in the 90s and arguably was one of the most popular artists in the world for a couple of years. Yeah, that uh, Come On Over, I believe that was the album that they um, they worked on together, came out around... 95 96 somewhere around there 
and is one of the highest selling albums of all time. I think it's sold in the 20 millions uh, internationally. So Right. Yeah. Uh, a girl group that I liked quite a bit was TLC in the 90s. Salt and Pepper was in the consideration because okay. okay. they, you know, they're big for Push It in, in the late 80s but then they had a little bit of a run in the 90s they did they were they were very popular for about a five-year period absolutely right, right. Yeah. so and, and i like them and then finally you know completely changing uh was olivia newton john you know, oh, she was somebody yeah. that uh, you know in the 70s super popular and then early 80s she was about as popular as you were going to get oh that was olivia newton john was probably my first singer crush sandy when she's in greece uh I remember watching. Uh, remember watching Olivia Newton-John on Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem. <laughs> Casey Kasem had his TV show America's Top Ten. Yeah. All right. And every once in a while, he would do. They would devote an entire episode to an artist. Like I remember watching. Um, he did a spotlight on Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Well, he did a spotlight on Olivia Newton-John, and I was probably about maybe. I was. This is right before Xanadu came out, so I was probably mm-hmm. about nine years old. And I was completely smitten. It was like the first, I would say, probably the first female I ever you know, fell in love with kind of sure. thing. Uh, which I'm, I wasn't the only one out there because uh, she was incredibly charming. But uh, yeah, Olivia Newton-John, that, 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 that brings a smile on my face. Right, absolutely. Uh, as, I, as I thought it might. Uh, so that kind of, I think that sums up what we've, you know, through some names. And I think we could keep going. There's just so many good artists. And as you... You know, when I when I dove into it and did what you did, I kind of just did a a brain dump where I just threw names down, anything that came to mind, and I was amazed when I would kind of go down the rabbit hole, who someone who I hadn't thought of for a while, and it uh, it was a good exercise. Maybe we'll have to come back and and uh, and touch the subject again, maybe narrow it down to some decades. But so okay, so that wraps up what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. So Scott, do you have a topic for next episode? Well, I was giving it quite a bit of thought uh, because we haven't really, you know, we've done a lot of focus on music and I was thinking about doing a, a focus on, on music. So I thought maybe, because music is so important to us, um, but yet what we're going to do next week is we're going to do a touch on, I want you to come up with your favorite movie soundtracks. Okay. Okay. So could be whether it's 70s 80s or 90s doesn't necessarily what you think would be like oh this is the greatest but if you had to pick five or ten that you absolutely said all right these this is my must listen to like i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to it from from uh, beginning to end uh because as we had talked mentioned before movies and soundtracks really went hand in hand for for many years it's a little bit different now with the way they do movies but back then, the music was almost as important as, as of a promotional vehicle for the movie as whether you saw them in a poster or saw them on TV. Um, so movie soundtracks, to me, were a really big deal, in the, particularly in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So I want you to come up with a list of your okay. favorite movie soundtracks for next time. Okay. That, uh, the, the hard part's going to be narrowing it down. Okay. All right. So my top 11 for uh, Ladies That Rocked. Number 11 was Janet Jackson. Number 10 was Alanis Morissette. Number 9 was Bonnie Raitt. Number 8, Gwen Stefani. Number 7, Patti Smythe. Number 6, Sheryl Crow. Number 5, Stevie Nicks. Number 4, Ann Wilson. Number 3, Joan Jett. Number 2, Chrissy Hind. And number 1 is Pat Benatar. And my top 10 was number 10, 
Patty Smythe. Uh, number nine was Debbie Harry. Number eight was Belinda Carlisle. Number seven, Jenny Watley. Number six, Alanis Morissette. Number five, Lita Ford. Number four, Anne N. Nancy Wilson. Number three was Stevie Nicks. Number two, Pat Benatar. And number one, Joan Jett. All right, that's going to wrap things up for our latest edition of Gen X Playback. Join us next time as we talk about our favorite movie soundtracks. But whether or not we miss somebody on your list, I don't think you can deny that anybody that we talked about tonight, these ladies did absolutely rock. And they all deserve to be on the list. So I I, I think we, I'm proud of what we did. I think we did a good job. Yeah, I thought so too. So again, thanks for tuning in across all points in the nation. 15 countries now, including the District of Columbia. It's kind of makes us feel glad that uh, we actually started this podcast. Right. We, we weren't sure what kind of a response we were going to get when we started doing this. And uh, so far, the response has been very good. So, again, we can't thank, you, can't thank you enough for tuning in. We are the Brotherhood High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we will talk to you next time. See you. Thanks. Thanks.